weathering the storms, and we looked at uh, depression last week. And so I was surprised at how many comments I've made of not only here but from other people that said they needed uh, that, they struggled with that from time to time. And so, um, again, we don't like to talk about our problems that we have on the inside. We can see the outside problems. We can see the broken bone, and we can see uh, different things like that. We don't like to talk much about uh, the mental problems of our life, but we all go through that. And so we looked at depression last week, and we looked at four people in the Bible that it seemed to me like they had uh, some issues. One of those was Moses. When he was so overloaded and so heavy burdened, he said, God, I just want you to kill me. If this is the way it's going to be, then just kill me and get over with. Elijah, after he had that bad, that great uh, victory over uh, Jezebel and over Baal and all those prophets, uh, she, she made mention that, listen, by this day tomorrow, you're going to be dead just like those prophets were. And he takes, takes off running, doesn't he? He goes into the woods. He goes by himself. He just lays there. He, he wants to die. On two different times, he says, God, I, I just want to die. Get this over with. Uh, we looked at a couple other people that had struggles mentally, and so we looked at some of the things that we can do to help us overcome depression. We need to make sure that we're taking care of ourselves physically. On two different occasions, God sent an angel down to Elijah and gave him food and water to drink. So if we want to have a sharp mind, we have to take care of ourselves physically. We have to be willing to leave things behind, and that's hard to do. Uh, for us to, to leave things behind and to look forward. But Paul says, I do that. He said, I, I leave those things behind and I press on. And so depression is a thing that many Americans struggle with uh, today and even those of us in the church. And so today we're going to look at another issue, uh, a storm that we may have that may crop up from time to time in our life, and that is anxiety. I struggled with that probably four or five years ago. Um, you know, I talked to a lot of my preacher friends, and every one of them, at one point or time in their ministry, had anxiety attacks. And so I would have that. My heart would just beat out of my chest. I couldn't breathe and didn't know what was going on. And um, if I could, people would have me come and drive it or ride in their car, and I couldn't even get in the car because it felt like it was all closed in. And I remember one time a guy said, hey, Brent, let's jump in my car and let's go somewhere. And I asked him, I said, can I drive your car? because I couldn't sit in a passenger seat. And if I drove, my mind was busy enough that I didn't think about how small it was, and I didn't think about all those things. So if I was in control, I was okay. But if I was sitting in the passenger seat, and all I could think about was that types of thing, I would freak out. I would jump out of the car. No, I'm good. Just, just go ahead and go. It would get worse. I would, say, I would try to go to bed at night. I would lay down in the bed, and it felt like my room would just going like this to me. I would close my eyes. It just felt like everything around me was huge, and it was just slowly creeping in on me. And so I would have to get up and keep myself busy. I would read until 2 or 3 or 4 o'clock in the morning until I was just so exhausted that I would fall asleep. And it got worse from there. Some dumb stuff that I would try to, in my mind, and you don't even think about doing this, but you ever think about swallowing how many times a day you swallow? That bugged me so bad I couldn't even swallow right. 
My mind was telling me, Brent, are you sure that you want to do that? I mean, you got some saliva in your mouth. You need to swallow, and I can't do it. Like all this stuff, and I couldn't even do it. And so anxiety, this thing between your ears, is a pretty powerful body part, and it controls everything else. And so we all struggle from time to time uh, with these mental problems that we really need to talk about. And so Philippians chapter 4, and I'll tell you how I conquered that eventually, but Philippians chapter 4, and it kind of gives us a clue here, Philippians chapter 4 in verse number 6, Paul is writing to the church at uh, Philippi, in Philippians chapter 4 in verse number 6, Paul says this, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Paul tells us in verse 6, do not be anxious for anything. That's easier said than done, isn't it? But we need to do that. We need to overcome these fears and overcome the problems that we have so that we can be able to move on. And so number one, what, what is the problem? What is anxiety? Well, anxiety is really, uh, I think, two different things that I felt. I felt a fear of what is going to happen in the future that I could not control. And control is the other big issue. It's not so much fear that I know something, you know, somebody's outside of my house and they're banging on my house, Brent, I'm going to come get you. That's not anxiety, that's fear. But we often, oftentimes fear the unknown. We fear what's in the future, and that scares us to death. And if I cannot control something on my own, that also is a scary thing. But there's three things. I looked this up on the computer this week to try to get a better idea of what I was talking about. But there was three things that really causes anxiety, this thing up here between our ears, to act like it does. Number one is insecurity. Something bad is going to happen, and it's going to happen to me. Do you ever feel like that from time to time? Something, I know something's going to go bad, and if it's going to go bad, it always has got to happen to me. That's an insecurity. There's an idea that we oftentimes feel helpless. There's something that's going to happen to me, and I have no way of being able to do anything about it. I cannot control that in any way at all. And then we oftentimes feel isolation. Something bad's going to happen to me. Nobody will be there to help me with that, and nobody will be able to understand what I am struggling with. And so that's the basic premise of what anxiety and having anxiety attacks are. But my point this morning, and what I want to really consider this morning, is how can we overcome this problem? How can we overcome the anxiety that we have in this life? Well, the first thing we need to do is to put our trust in God. We need to really understand that God is in control no matter what the situation is. We may not be in control, but we know that our Heavenly Father is in control. He makes sure that everything happens exactly the way that He wants it to happen. 
And so we oftentimes feel insecure because we don't think that we are in control, and oftentimes we are not. And so we feel insecure with that. But we need to realize that if we are a Christian, if we are a part of the church, that we are very secure. I didn't write this verse down, it just came to my mind, but we oftentimes use this verse that no one can pluck you from uh, God's hand. And we use that to, to do the opposite. Well, only you can pluck yourself from God's hand. And that's true. But what the verse says is absolutely true. No one can pluck you from God's hand. So we have security in that. Going back to Proverbs chapter 3, I love what um, Solomon says here. Proverbs chapter 3, we've been talking about Solomon on Sunday morning in, in Sunday school class, uh, how wise he was, and, and Queen Sheba this morning came to just visit Solomon, just to hear him, and she asked him some hard, difficult questions. And so Solomon wrote the book of Proverbs. And so Proverbs chapter 3, and in verse 21 through 26, Solomon says this, My son, let them not depart from your eyes. What? Keep sound wisdom and discretion so that they will be life to your soul and grace to your neck. You want to live a, a life that's really pleasing to God? You want to live a life that makes you uh, feel good? Keep wisdom and keep discretion in your life. Verse 23, Then you will walk safely in your way, and your foot will not stumble. When you lie down, you will not be afraid. Yes, you will lie down, and your sleep will be sweet. Do not be afraid of sudden terror, nor of trouble from the wicked when it comes, for the Lord will be your confidence and will keep your foot from being caught. If you keep these two things in your life, wisdom and discretion, your walk with God will be much, much better. We can have that security that we want, that we need, that we long for, if we truly do what God wants us to do. And so the remedy for anxiety is really putting our trust and our confidence in God. Again, we don't have control every, every single aspect. And, and it's hard for us. A lot of us are problem solvers. And when we can't solve a particular problem, it may drive us crazy. It might drive us nuts. But we have to realize that it is God who is really in control of this life. Going back to the New Testament, to 1 Peter chapter 5, in verse number 6 and verse number 7, <clears throat> 1 Peter chapter 5, in verse number 6 and verse number 7, Peter, the apostle, he says, Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your cares upon him, for he cares for you. And so something else that we ought to consider if we're struggling with this, we need to, first of all, humble ourselves. See where you are in relationship with God. God is on a much higher level than we are. And when we can realize that, we can then put our cares upon God. God is our Father. He wants to help us in every situation. 
The word care there in verse 7, there's two words. There's care and cares. They're two different Greek words. The first one, the first care, cast your care upon him, that is the word anxiety. Cast your anxiety upon him, for he cares for you. That word cares means that God is very interested in you. And so that means a lot, doesn't it? When we know that somebody truly cares for us, when we know that we can put our trust in someone, that if we go tell them a secret that we may have or a struggle that we have in our life and we know that they won't go on Facebook and tell the world about it, when we have a kind of a trust and we kind of have a, a confidence in that, then we can give our anxiety to that person. And God said, I want that. God said, if, you're having, if you have a problem, if you're really struggling with something, I want you to tell me about it. But again, we don't do that as humans, do we? We're going to talk about prayer probably in March and maybe even April because we don't use that enough, in my opinion. And so the, the way that I solved my problem eventually was with prayer. I realized that I've really struggled in my prayer life. And so the times that I, whenever I would have a panic attack or an anxiety attack, the first thing I would do is take a deep breath, I would hold it for about 10 seconds, blow that breath out, and then the next thing I did was pray to God. Because God said, I want your cares. I want your anxiety. I care for you. I have great interest in you. And so I told you several years ago, I, I had a list of every single one of you on this list 45, 50 names, and I would pray for every single person every week. If there was 50, let's say 49 of you all, I would divide that by seven. I would pray for seven people every day. You know when I did that? When I was having anxiety. When I needed to talk to God and really focus on my relationship with him and less what I think about myself and more about him, that's how I took care of my anxiety. I prayed about it. I talked to God about it. And that's what our verse said that we read in Philippians chapter 4. Let me go back and read that again. Philippians chapter 4 and verse number 6. <clears throat> we got to pray to God about the things that we struggle with. He says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything, do what? By prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. That's the equation for that. Don't be anxious for anything. If you are, pray about it. Give it to God. And then in verse number 7, when you do that, you will have the peace of God which surpasses all understanding. And so that, to me, was, my, was the key. Whenever I struggled with that problem, I stopped and I prayed. It may have been five minutes. It may have been a half hour but I prayed to God about the difficulties that I was having. And so Paul, I believe, gives us the answer to that here in chapter 4. Don't be anxious for anything, but if you are, pray, pray to God about it. God wants it, as he said in 1 Peter chapter 5. God wants us to share our problems with him so that he can have, have us, give us the peace that we truly want. God has promised us peace. But we have to be willing to commit 
our life fully to him. Man, we can't expect to be half Christian and half not, and, and we expect God to do everything for us. We talked about this before. We talked about forgiveness. How can I ask God to forgive me if I refuse to forgive my brother or sister? It's not going to work, is it? And so if we truly want to have peace in our life that only God can really give us, we must be willing to commit our whole life to him. In John chapter 16, <clears throat> John chapter 16, in verse number 33, this is Jesus speaking to his disciples here. He says, These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. <clears throat> in the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. You are not going to find peace any other way but through Jesus. The world is not going to offer that, are they? You are not going to find peace at the bottom of a bottle. You are not going to find peace in a syringe or a needle. You're not going to find peace in drugs or, or whatever the world may offer to you. There is no peace there whatsoever. Yeah, you might be numb for a while. Yeah, it might kind of let you drift off for a while, but when you come back to reality, all those problems are still there. The only way to truly have peace is what Jesus and God our Father offers. The world does not offer that to us. And so what are some practical steps? We did this last week about those four examples that I gave, but what are some practical steps that we can use in our own life that can really help us to overcome anxiety. And so I've listed, I don't know, four or five of them. The first one that we need to do is read and meditate on Scripture. Again, do you have a set time, maybe in your day, that you sit down and you read and study the Word of God? That's vital to our Christian health. That's very important for us growing as a Christian that we have to be able to read and understand God's Word. And as we read and study God's Word, that will get our mind off those things and allow us to focus on these things. So it's important that we read and study the Word of God. We need to be realistic in our expectations. I think we struggle with that sometimes, don't we? We have very high expectations, sometimes of ourselves sometimes of our spouse or our kids, and they can never meet those expectations. We sometimes look at people, and they are bound to fail because our expectations are so high of them that they can never meet that. And so again, going back to the Old Testament, to the book of Ecclesiastes, another book written by the, the wisest man in the world, Ecclesiastes chapter 8, in verse number 16, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes chapter 8 and verse number 16. Listen to what Solomon said. He said, when I applied my heart to know wisdom and to see the business that is done on the earth, even though no one sees or sleeps night or day, then I saw all the work of God. 
that a man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun. For though a man labors to discover, yet he will not find it. Moreover, though a wise man attempts to know it, he will not be able to find it. We need to know our limitations. He says, I was up all night and all day trying to figure out exactly how the world operated, and I could never succeed in that. Man, we can work ourselves to death, and we can just eventually get to a point where we could just collapse physically and mentally and spiritually and emotionally, all those things. And the, the world that we live in is so fast-paced now, we, we do that, don't we? But we need to know our limitations. We need to know when to say stop. I struggle with that. I can't say no to people when they ask me to do something. But we need to work on that, don't we? Again, we cannot solve every problem that is laid before us. And again, some of us are really problem solvers. We look at things and it, it drives us to try to find a solution to some of those things. But some problems just simply doesn't have a solution. The third thing we need to do, we need to be flexible. Under stress, if we don't bend, we're going to break, aren't we? You take that rod, that steel rod, or you take something like that, and you keep bending and bending and bending and bending. If it doesn't bend far enough, it's eventually going to snap, isn't it? It's going to break in two. And what good is that going to do? We have to be resilient to what the world is trying to throw at us. The devil, uh, the book of Philippians talks about the devil throwing fiery darts at us. The evil one, the wicked one. He is doing everything that he can to get you on his side. So we need to be resilient. We need to know who our enemy is. We need to know that the world and, and the things that it's trying to throw at us so that we can live the life that God really and truly wants us to live. We need to live one day at a time. I talked about that last week, that song, you've got to stop and smell the roses. I think it's important to do that. And so we need to live one day at a time. Jesus kind of talks about that in the Sermon on the Mount. That is in Matthew chapter 6. Jesus talks about this. <clears throat> he said, don't worry. What verse is that? Matthew chapter 6. He uses the word worry several times starting in verse number 25. Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will put on. Is life not more than food and the body more than clothing? Verse 27, which one of you by worrying can add one cubit to your stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. What do we worry about the most? Clothing, food, and something to drink. The exact same thing that Jesus told us not to worry about are the three things that we worry the most about. What's my friends going to say about these jeans I got from Walmart? George, I think they're called. Is that George? Walmart's brand? If my friends see me in these George jeans, they'll never speak to me again. I've got to buy the $250 pair that's got rips all over them from the <laughs> knees up down to the thighs. And you know, I almost felt bad for one kid. I want to give him some money to go buy a new pair of jeans. 
I paid 50 bucks for these. He did what? <laughs> but what will my friends think if they see me in a pair of George jeans? We worry about things that Jesus says, don't, don't do that. I'll take care of you. He says that in verse 33. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things shall be added to you. I will take care of you if you do what I ask you to do. It's, it's that easy. Verse 34, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day <coughs> is its own trouble. Live one day at a time. Yeah, it's okay for us to make plans in the future. We need to do that. I need to make a doctor's appointment. I need to go visit the dentist. I need to go see the eye specialist or whatever. We need to make plans in the future. But don't get to the point where we're looking so far ahead that we don't consider what's going on today. Live one day at a time. Number five, this may not sound right. Sometimes we need to just keep busy. Sometimes we're too busy. I mentioned yesterday we're trying to put 30 hours in 24 hours, but the other end of the spectrum, maybe you're not doing anything. You need to keep busy. There's a couple quotes I've seen uh, this week. It says, Blessed is a man who is too busy to worry in the daytime and too tired to worry about it at night. thought that was pretty good. If all you do is sit at home with all the curtains closed, and you're still wearing your pajamas, and it's 3 o'clock in the afternoon, and you're in your lazy boy, sucking your thumb, that's not a good place to be. Throw open the curtains, go outside, go work in the garden, go do something, keep your mind busy. Work! It was never a sin in the Bible for a man to work. When God created Adam and Eve in the garden, it was before um, they sinned, what was their responsibility? To keep and tend the garden. They had to work before sin even came into the world at that point. So we need to keep ourselves busy. When you keep yourself busy a day and in the daytime, it's a lot easier to go to sleep at night, to lay your head on the pillow, and you're asleep like that because, man, I am wore out. So we need to keep ourselves busy. If we sit around all day and think about all of our problems, all we're going to do is just compound those problems. And so it's okay for us to do things. It's okay for us to break a sweat every once in a while. It's okay for us to physically do things uh, to keep our mind busy. And then number six, I think this is most important for all of us, we must be content. I read another quote, and I thought this is interesting. Anxiety often comes from having too much rather than having too little. Ponder that one for a while. Anxiety comes from us having too much instead of us not having enough. You've heard probably your grandparents talk, those people that lived through the Depression, what they say? We didn't know we was poor. You heard people say that? My grandma used to say, I didn't know I was poor. There was 10 of us kids and mom and dad, and we didn't know we was poor. We always had food to eat. We always had clothes to wear. 
Yeah, it might be a flower sack. Yeah, it might be a burlap bag that mom had to make into a dress, but we didn't worry. I mean, we worry today, don't we? We have so much stuff. I'm starting to be one of those people you see on TV, the, um, what is it? No, not a hoarder. <laughs> I want to go the other way. They live like in a hundred square container. That's what I want to do. I want to be that, that hundred, hundred square feet person is who I want to be. Put a bed in there, put a kitchen and a bathroom, I'm happy. That's where I want to be. We have so much junk. We have so much stuff. I told you before we've been here 17 years and we still got stuff in boxes that we moved up here 17 years ago. We might need it one day. No, you don't. Those clothes I might fit into, they're, they're out of style now. The, the suits I had in my closet that don't longer fit, you know, they're, they're plaid and they're, they're polyester and they're corduroy. Get rid of them. I will say, though, I think corduroy's coming back. <laughs> Maybe if I keep another year or two, I might be right back in style again. We went to Walmart yesterday, and there's corduroy everywhere. I thought, whoa, what? I'm back in the 80s again. No, it's just coming back, so I might keep that suit. But man, if I'm going to get, we had a thing back when I worked at Delta. I'm on overtime. They had a thing while I worked in the factory. If they didn't use one, if they didn't use something for a year, they threw it away. Didn't matter what it was. If it was machine, if it was parts, if it was something, if that thing sat for a year, the next day they threw it away. That should be our motto in our life. If there's something in my house I haven't used for a year, it's going to go bye-bye. Because I'll just replace it with probably something else anyway. But we have to be content. We have to be happy with what we have. We need to count our pro we need to count our blessings and not our problems. That's true, isn't it? We need to count our blessings and not our problems. We sing a song, I think it's page 68. Count your many blessings. See what God has done. What has God done for you this morning? I know one thing. I know that God's blessed you. What are you going to do with that blessing? You're going to use that to encourage and to bless others? That decision's really up to you. So anxiety, yeah, we've all probably had it from time to time. We probably have struggled with it from time to time. But God said, give it to me. Cast your anxiety upon me, for I have great interest in you. Where is your prayer life this morning? If you're going through difficulties, where is your prayer life? Is it where it needs to be, or does it need some work? Those are some things that we really need to ask ourselves. We need to do those spiritual self-examinations from time to time to see where we need to, to improve. And so I would encourage you greatly to do that.